Yes, indeed. Off an amazing basketball weekend for the women and for the men at the Final Four. A week that will have the Masters coming up. We've got baseball underway. We've got playoffs starting in the NBA and the NHL as well all coming. We're ready to go over all of this and much more on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. I am the somewhat rested, somewhat competent host, TJ Ridge. Not a lot of sleep coming back from Houston, Texas and the UConn win in the uh, in the final four uh, the state of texas had both final fours as lsu won the women's final four so i'm going to enlist some help to lean on and to give me some insight and analysis on the coverage and how do the announcers do and what about the ratings and go through all of this we've got a guest coming up in just a second ken fang will be here i love his insight from awful announcing ken made a mistake before he was really good as a guest and when you're really good i want to go back to you uh, you're like an ace uh, and in my book, if you do well. And so I want to go back to him, and he's gracious to come on and speak with me in a moment or two. A little later in the hour, we'll go to Augusta, dare I say it. Hello, friends. A tradition like any other, unlike any other. The Masters is this week from CBS, Golf Channel with a bunch of coverage, ESPN with a bunch of coverage. Rex Hoggard of the Golf Channel will be the, with us to talk a little bit about that. But I want to talk to Ken about this, too, because... We, we've got a real rivalry thing with the Live Golf Series and the Live Golfers allowed to play at Augusta with the PGA Tour pros, including the wow. Tuesday night Champions Dinner, which there's no uh, confirmation as to whether or not they will have officials with whistles and flags <laughs> to try to separate the golfers uh, from that. All right, we'll get into all of that with Rex. Kendall might have an opinion or two. Again, thank you for finding us on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed. However you find podcasts, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Find us. LastWordOnSports.com also helps us. Thank you. The audience continues to grow, which we love. I love talking sports media, being part of it for the better part of 30 years. With all that out of the way, hello, Ken Fang of Fang's Bites. That's the Twitter handle. Awful announcing as well. Happy Masters Week. Happy uh, Final Four recap on the pod. How are things with you, my friend? Uh, very good. Good to be on with you, TJ, as always. Glad to have you. Glad, glad that you're having me back again. Yeah, uh, And uh, it's good to have you for the insight on all this. I want to go chronologically. Again, women's Final Four was in Dallas. Men's Final Four in Houston. That was planned sort of that way to maybe cohabitate. Uh, the media back and forth, and in particular, like they were thinking maybe uh, the UConn media might be at both. It looked for a, a little while. The men made it for Miami. The women might have been there, too, in the Final Four. Proximity about three and a half hours from each other. Exciting stuff, to say the least. It is the most watched women's Final Four and championship wow. game on TV ever. So, Ken, give me your reaction to the smashing ratings. LSU ends up winning the title. A transcendent player, I'm using everybody else's word, and Caitlin Clark helped fuel those ratings. What are your thoughts on how well the audience did and what bodes well for future, the television product, and that kind of stuff off this women's Final Four? Well, let's go first things first. Uh, Final Four, 4.5 million average viewers for the both of the games. 5.5 million for Iowa, South Carolina, which everybody was watching on a Friday night. Um, and then, and this is what's the interesting thing. I made a prediction on Twitter saying they will have 6 million viewers. A former television producer said, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a nice day on Sunday. Everybody's going to be out. They'll be lucky to get 4.5 million. I said, okay, I'm going to defer to you. I'll change my prediction. Little did I know that would be absolutely horrendously wrong. And it turned out to be 9.9 million people watched the final between Iowa and LSU. 
the fact is, is that um, the women have been saying this for a long time. Give us a showcase product. Put us on a network that can accessible to everybody on ABC on a Sunday afternoon, and we'll get great numbers. And that's exactly what happened. You also had, a, a as you mentioned, Caitlin Clark, who has caught fire uh, all throughout. And of course, there was that controversy, which I'm not going to get into. I, I'm tired of it uh, between Angel Reese and, and her taunting. But look, the fact is, is that we have stars in the women's game. The women, this is this may have been their magic uh, Larry Bird moment. It really could have you read, been. You read my mind, and we did not go over this. I was coming to that, and you're about to answer it yourself. Is this a moment where they catapult like the 79 NCAA tournament with Bird and Magic led to basically all of the tournament being on TV, which it hadn't been before. It, all, obviously, the women uh, here in the twenty in the 2000s and the 2020s, all the games are on TV. But in terms mm -hmm. of audience and interest, you make a great analogy. Yeah. I mean, 1979, Bird and Magic get together in a college basketball final that is still the most watched college basketball game ever. Uh, this could have been that. I think this is that moment for women's basketball. And not only that, all the girls are coming back. They're coming back next year. So you got Caitlin Clark coming back to Iowa. Angel Reese is coming back to LSU. You got Haley Van Lith, uh, another great star. She's going to go back to Louisville. You got all these wonderful women who are going to be playing. And not only that bodes well for our Olympic team coming up in the 20s, late 20s and uh, early 30s, and uh, going to be tremendous for uh, the Olympics as well. But I think this bodes well for the WNBA coming up in the future. Also for the NCAA Women's Tournament contract final uh, uh, contract, which is going to be coming up as well. Uh, those negotiations will be coming up very soon. ESPN's contract, which bundled that with an entire all of the NCAA championships, except the men's, which of course is on CBS and Warner Brothers. Um, expect the women's championship, basketball championship, to be unbundled, get its own contract, and uh, do very well. Uh, whichever network decides to bid on it and get the contract as well. ESPN obviously has an inside uh, track to that because they have the inventory to do so. Other networks don't, maybe Fox. Um, but I really see the future being very bright that it needs shades for the women's basketball tournament i like that and again caitlin clark even um transcended and crossed out of just women's basketball into mainstream sports coverage of mm -hmm. look at the shooting range the comparison to steph curry uh, the um, the volume of points and assists and and how impactful she is so then you combine this. Let me just relate this not only to Ken, but to the audience. So I'm in Houston on the Friday night before the men's final four. I had been, don't judge me. Don't make fun of me. I don't go to NBA games, but a buddy of mine, Matt Thomas is the play-by-play -play guy for the Houston Rockets. And Matt got me tickets for the Rockets and the Pistons, not just any bad NBA game, Ken Fang. This was the 60 loss 60 lost Detroit Pistons and the 59 lost Houston Rockets at the very end of the regular season. Now it actually ended up being a fairly entertaining, bad basketball matchup game. Uh, all right. But so don't judge me on how awful that matchup is. We get done. I meet up with Matt. I've got another pe person with me. My guy, Tyler Jones, we meet up with Matt. We go find a restaurant right by the Toyota center. 
The second half of South Carolina and Iowa is on. With South Carolina having won 40-plus games in a row, defending national champion. This is not, Ken, unlike UNLV, 1990 Larry Johnson, Stacey Augman, Greg yep. Anthony August against two. Duke. All yep. right. And Duke came of age with Christian Leitner, beat them, won the national title. This is Caitlin Clark and Iowa almost replicating Duke to upset mighty South Carolina. That bar, that entire bar was glued to every play, including us, of the second half and the fourth quarter of that game. We stopped eating. We stopped drinking to watch. My point with that is I think that was a lot of America on Friday night. And you had to be crazy to think it wasn't going to boost for Sunday. Maybe you could question Sunday afternoon versus Sunday night on ABC. But she got so much attention on ESPN after the upset, so much attention in the mainstream sports media outside of women's basketball. You're right. I mean, the fact that they're coming back to play because the WNBA rules don't allow them to turn pro until they're 22, which is interesting and maybe challenged at some point. Um, that 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 bodes nothing but uh, nothing but well, I think, for the women's game. But just your reaction, because I I don't think that reaction in Houston in that bar restaurant is isolated. I think that was thousands, if not tens of thousands, out on a Friday night that stopped what they were doing all over the country and paid attention to this if it was on TV in the yeah, place where yeah. they were. I, I also kind of, uh, similar to what I saw, and I'm going to go change sports here. 2008, I'm in a bar. Michael Phelps is swimming for the United States, and he just transcended everything. It was a sports bar. People are rooting for Michael Phelps to defeat uh, this French swimmer in the relay. I was in that bar, and everybody, everyone, every TV had it on. I would imagine, TJ, that that was something similar you saw in Houston. Every TV is on the fi women's Final Four. Everyone's stopping. Everyone's watching. Everyone's amazed that Caitlin Clark can do the things that she can do. And they're saying, wow. Wow, the women's game. I think it's a ride, um, similar to what happened in the World Baseball Classic when they said baseball won, um, when Mike Trout and Shohei Otani uh, had their big trend, uh, had their big showdown in the final in the WBC in uh, March. Women's basketball won this weekend. It really did, big time. And again, you got personalities. I mean, Kim Mulkey is a live wire. Uh, she is now the LSU coach. LSU had never won a basketball championship, men or women. They get one, but she's got mm -hmm. a brand new team. She's not for everybody. She's fiery. She's a love-hate kind of situation. Uh, I am old enough. I think you're my contemporary. I remember Kim Mulkey as a player. Teenage TJ remembers mm -hmm. watching Kim Mulkey with the long braid pigtails, and she was fiery, Ken. I don't know if you know this or remember this. She would forearm people like Kate and Cl Caitlin Clark. Yeah. She would get technical fouls. She was fiery as a player. As we like to say in the South, ain't nothing changed. She's <laughs> still the same as a coach 30 yeah. years later of coaching. That's how she coaches. I was really surprised. Let's bring this to uh, the officiating of that game, the controversial technical on Caitlin Clark. I was surprised that Mulkey wasn't warned, if not teed up for her antics. And I really want to compliment. I thought uh, Ryan Rucco and Rebecca Lobo on the TV call were right on it about the officiating and too many whistles and very critical. That's my judgment from a sports media standpoint. Give me more on the ESPN, ABC announcers, the job they did, the criticism. What are your thoughts, Ken Fang? I think Ryan Rocco is a fantastic announcer. 
Um, he's well known up here in the Northeast doing games. He's Ian Eagles backup on the Nets broadcast for yes, very well knows basketball. Um, he and Rebecca Lobo have become an excellent team. They call not only the um, NCAA tournament, but also the WNBA for ESPN. They're a fantastic team. And uh, you're absolutely right, TJ. They were on top of trends. They knew that the officiating as it got to be a big story, they jumped on it and they were critical. Um, whether you thought that uh, that technical on Caitlin Clark was unnecessary, which it was, um, and the officiate the officials, it was just too big for the officials. They got they just really didn't know what they were doing out there. Um, they they called fouls on Angel Reese and got her out of the game early. Um, and Caitlin Clark, they got her out of the game late. So it really uh, fortunate for LSU that that, that their bench scoring uh, came out and they they got some really good uh, production from the bench. Iowa just didn't have an answer. Would the would it change if we had a more fairly called game? Probably not. LSU was the better team that that day, um, but uh, I, I think it would have been at least a, a tighter game. It would have been a closer game. And they and they were tremendous offensively. Iowa was uh, not known. And again, I'm not an aficionado, but I worked in women's basketball doing the then Memphis State women's games. Ken Fang, I'm dating myself in the early 90s. Young TJ was the Memphis State women's play by play announcer for three seasons while I was in school there. So I go back and around this sport. Uh, but there were a couple of analysts that I saw and talked to that said Iowa plays no defense whatsoever. And we kind of, we kind of saw that in the LSU game. They have 102 points in the game. And back to one more overall theme, and then we're going to move on off the women's game. You don't want the officials to be part of the storyline. They need yeah. to be part of enforcing the rules without everybody knowing their name, without becoming too much of a factor, too much of an influence. There mm -hmm. were 37, Ken knows this, 37 foul calls in that game. That's more than any other Final Four game in, in, in uh, women's history by 10. And it's more than any NCAA tournament game ever. They've been playing for 40-plus years in the women's tournament. 37. Mm -hmm. It's too much, Ken. They were yeah, too much yeah. a part of the storyline. I think we agree. One more time, just real quick. Uh, absolutely. And uh, and had this been on CBS, the announcer would have been going, Gene, what do you think? Gene? <laughs> Gene? 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 territory. Come on in. Uh, yeah. that, that would have been the situation. And luckily, ESPN didn't have a yeah. rules analyst because they would have been going to him or her way too much. Um, again, officiating shouldn't be a storyline of any game. Cincinnati Bengals know this well too well from the from the right. Super Bowl. Yeah, but still, um, we shouldn't be having that. And um, they should, as you mentioned, shouldn't be a storyline. Never should have been gotten to that point. But the NCAA has got to look at itself in the mirror because they need to get some. They need to work on that for next year. Love Ken Fang's insight. Let's move on to the men's tournament. And obviously, San Diego State got to the Final Four on a controversial call. I believe the right call on the mm -hmm. foul call on Creighton that put them at the line. I hear you saying, yes, you mm -hmm. believe that was the right call, even in the clutch. If you're a Creighton fan, you hate it. If you yeah. don't like the refs sticking their nose in at the end of games, you hate it. But I thought that was the right call for the free throws for San Diego State to get them to Houston in yeah. the first place, Ken. I, I agree. I mean, uh, there was a clutch there uh, on the shorts. It, good replay. Jim Spernarkle, fantastic job on that. Was right on it, along with Ian Eagle. Pointed out, he said, look, um, you don't want that call? Don't make that clutch. Don't yes. clutch the shorts at the don't end. Foul yeah, don't, don't foul him. Don't foul him. Don't put yourself in that position to, to have them call it. 
uh, on that. All right, so we move to the men's Final Four, and as dramatic as it gets, I relate to the audience being in NRG Stadium covering for TuneIn and the College Basketball Coast to Coast show and podcast. It was electric down the stretch of that Florida Atlantic-San Diego State game, as you can imagine. And when Lamont Butler hit that shot, so Ken, if everybody can visualize, they were coming towards us. We're in the overflow media behind the end zone, behind the CBS Turner set, and they're coming right at us. He let that ball go, and I'm like, that beat the clock. I see the red light come on as it's going in, and it's just bedlam in the arena. What did you make of the in-game call of Jim Nance, who we're going to talk more about, Bill Raftery, Grant Hill, rising to that moment? It had never happened before where a team down one in a Final Four game, win or lose, shot at the buzzer, wins the game. There had been tie games where you win the game. Obviously, Chris Jenkins of Villanova, most famously in the national title game in Houston seven years ago, but that was a tie game, overtime Mm -hmm. looming if he misses. San Diego State wins or loses on that shot. They won it. How do you think Nance and company did covering it? And obviously, the ratings were very good because of the end of that game with Florida Atlantic, Ken. Yeah, they. uh, Jim was roasted the occasion. I mean, he's done this before. Of course, we remember the Jalen Suggs shot for Gonzaga, which is also tied, by the way. Um, Correct. So um, he he was perfect on that, um, on the block shot from the other end. And then as Butler was bringing it up, he said, are they going to call a timeout? They don't have the scores on the floor. So Jim did come up with that nugget and so quickly. He knows. I mean, he's just so good on college basketball. Mm-hmm. He sees the floor, notices that. He says, all right, they're going to continue. Looks up at the clock and says, there's two seconds left. He's got to get it off. Sure enough, Lamont Butler does that and hits it, and he lets the moment rise. Um, Bill Raffer went, ah! And then he just let the moment, <laughs> just let, let, he let the moment be quiet because he's that experienced of an announcer. He knows to let the crowd come in. The band came in. Um and then I think it was quiet for about 15 seconds or so before the analysts started to come in to talk about that. But Jim also said it was a San Diego State miracle. And it was perfect. That was just a perfect caption to it because that's exactly what it was. And I'm sure that when the, the kids go down the line, that's what they're going to be calling it, San Diego State miracle. Um, as they think about that and, you know, um, as they as the memories start to fade about the bad memories of the final, they'll start to think about what they did. And that great Final Four game against Florida Atlantic and Lamont Butler, it'll be called the San Diego State Miracle because Jim Nance, that's what he christened it. And uh, it's going to remain that way, I think, for life. Yeah, and and again, it's going to be replayed for 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. It's all-time stuff to win a game uh, like that. So it was a privilege to be there, be part of it. Uh, Two things. So first of all, they did all the tributes to Jim Nance leading up to the semifinal games. Tribute in the arena, by the way. Oh, they that. played a piece in the arena. They came back to Jim Nance in the arena. So the whole arena cheered and went crazy. What did you think of all the tributes uh, and everything this weekend? I can tell you and tell the audience on Monday night, he was inundated, bombarded with people all around him, half hour even before the game, after the game, people wanting their pictures, video with him, all of that. What did you think of all of that in the coverage? Can I value your opinion? Um, it was appropriate. It wasn't over the top because Jim doesn't allow that. He he just said, look, let's focus on the game. When the game comes, time to focus on the game. Let's not talk about me. It's about the kids. It's about the coaches. It's about what's on the floor. Let's talk about that. 
there was a time when it looked like the um, the UConn San Diego State was going to get out of hand. Um, both Grant Hill and Bill Raftery wanted to start to talk about his memories. Jim said, "No, let's let's focus what's on the floor. We can talk about that later." Credit to Jim Nance to pulling that away and keeping it. And that got the game got a little bit close, five points or so. Mm-hmm. So good, for, good on him for doing that. But the tributes are. Um, Here's a guy who started in 1991. I mean, even further going back, if you look at the video, he looks 12 years old when he started mm-hmm. his first Final Four as a host in 1986. Um, and even the videos that I've seen on YouTube when he used to do the games with Hot Rod Hundley in Utah when he was a, a sports anchor in Salt Lake City, young kid in his 20s, mm-hmm. uh, went to CBS, and it, it, he's been there ever since. And... You know, it's interesting, uh, TJ, I'll mention this real quick. Uh, when they were doing, whenever they would do the selection show, he would be like one of the first bracketologists because he would predict and be correct on what would be going on the one through four line on all what's going on. He would be very correct with the seating and where they would go. Um, it's a great fantastic. point. You're right. Yeah. In the in the early, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, in the early stages of that selection show becoming what it was, Jim was always on the call of a of a game on CBS he was sometimes on the call of golf by the way i still remember him being on the golf coverage a couple of times late 80s early 90s and they would go to him for the selection show because those were the days where there was no big 10 tournament and right. CBS was showing early season golf and Jim would weigh in because they were about to televise the tournament on CBS as a bracketologist. It's a great reference that you make uh, as Ken Fang is with us here. They did the tribute. He was part of the one shining moment and all that. Let's get into the ratings. I believe you were talking about this with the women's game. I, I believed all of this was, uh, too doom and gloom, too pessimistic. I really believe with it back on CBS, and we know live sports, especially important live sports, like what March Madness is on network TV, that the number was going to be good. And the San Diego State number for the win over Florida Atlantic was really good for what everybody thought that it wasn't going to be. No blue blood teams. It ended up being what close to 12, something like that, close to 12 yep. million, but right. it peaked at like 17 million for the yep. final half hour of the winning shot. They did well for not having Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, Syracuse, yep. Michigan yep. State, North Carolina, or one of those mm-hmm. uh, last year. All right. So, what do you make of the numbers? I know the second game was down, UConn and Miami, and it wasn't a very competitive game. And then yep. Monday night's title game wasn't as great. But we got more on that in a second. What do you make of the numbers, Ken, uh, of the ratings that we're now finding out here early in the week? Uh, I'm going to say for Saturday, they did probably as well as they could. Um, you wanted a close game to hook everybody for the first for the first game. That's exactly what happened. You had a fantastic second game, even though San Diego State was down 14 at, at early in the second half. They started whittling that lead down and started getting it close. Then you start building that audience. And as you mentioned, they got close to some of the numbers that they had for last year's Final Four for the first game. Great. Uh, second game was not as good as you mentioned. Um, I expected that number to go down because UConn is just, was just blowing everybody out. And Miami just didn't have an answer. And then last night, the uh, numbers were about 12 million, 13 million. Um, I expected that it's said to be the lowest for ever for a final for a uh, for a final mm-hmm. NCAA championship. Um, last year's game uh, on TBS did eighteen point one million, and they had blue bloods in that as well. But 
I will say that for the games and not having that Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina, Michigan States, um, they did as well as they could. And I and I think that I think CBS is going to run to the bank with that. And it wasn't a close game. And there's something else that we got to keep in, in perspective as we've kept talking about in the previous incarnation of this uh, of this podcast with John Lewis from Sports Media Watch. There's a couple things that are relative. One, the ratings for everything are drastically down and drastically different, especially post COVID nineteen craziness and pandemic of 2020. So let's keep in perspective that on a typical Saturday night. Any network show, reality show or otherwise, struggles to get three, four, five million people watching. So when you put basketball on and it's got 14 million, it's dwarfing what's on. Again, on Monday night, reality shows are a little different if you have an American Idol, if you have a voice, if you have a Survivor network shows during the week. But by and large, a number that's 13 or 14 million is dwarfing what's on network TV I just point that out that that bodes well still for plenty of live sports in prime time. Can just one more time on that. I agree with that. And, and, and as you mentioned, it's going to, it's going to win the night. It's no matter what it's on WWE raw was on opposite it, but still uh, for them to that have gets, numbers, that gets a couple million on cable yeah, that doesn't right. get 14 million, doesn't even get 10 right. million to come right. close to that. But you know, uh, it, it does, it, it gets its numbers. It gets its young. It gets its um, demo of young men to to watch mm -hmm. eighteen to forty nine, uh, eighteen to twenty, eighteen to thirty five, eighteen to thirty four. Um, but the NCAA tournament still draws people. It'll always draw people. The NCAA champion on a Monday night. I don't know why. For some reason, people were complaining it was on not, at nine twenty. It's always been on nine twenty. I don't know why people complain. Right. Yeah. Um, and. The fact is, it was Jim Nance's last uh, college basketball game, and I think those numbers were probably as good as they were going to get. People wanted to see him say goodbye, and he didn't make it about him again. He just said, thank you for being my friend. That's it. And that, that's the perfect way to go out. Um, so I, I think CBS is going to be, and, and the people at Warner Brothers Discovery are going to be happy with that, considering they didn't have the brand names. Um, yeah, it, was this a trend? We don't know. Um because of the transfer portal and what's going mm -hmm. on. Um, if we get these upsets again, like we did ne next year, then uh, they might get a little worried. But if this is a one-year aberration and we see the Kentuckys back again and the Dukes Duke. and the North Carolinas, then uh, I think the, the tournament will be fine. Well said on all that. I want to move on to one more thing with Ken Fang before we're done here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. That's the Masters in just a second. But one more point again on this. Keep in perspective – that that Monday night basketball game uh, is better rated than even the NBA Finals game six yeah. with Golden State and the uh, Celtics last summer. Now, again, that's summer viewing. Everybody's on vacation. A lot of people are traveling. That's a that's a summer number versus an early April number. But uh, again, uh, and I thought it was interesting, too, that you go back to the Gonzaga-Baylor championship game two years ago where Gonzaga is going for a perfect season, let us not forget, in the championship game. And that game was was only like 2% better than Monday night's game. Apples to apples, both on CBS. I know craziness in 2021 off of 2020, but it's, it's just interesting to what will this audience settle into on Monday night? Will it typically be a 14, 16, 18 million that are still watching it? When again, most of network TV has gone away 
folks. Yeah. When you when you reference and Ken, I, I know you study this, you keep up with it you, as part of awful announcing and do a great job. When you reference that in the 80s and the 90s, when you had very few choices on TV, that network TV shows were regularly getting 30, 35 million people to watch and they mm-hmm. now get two or three million people to watch. Yeah. We should keep in mind that sports Live Sunday night NFL, live March Madness, live things like that are destroying what's on typical network TV because everybody like in my house is on Netflix, Disney Plus, Apple Plus, Amazon, something else. Ken, just one more time, we move on to the Masters in a sec. Absolutely. And um, with people watching YouTube channels now Mm -hmm. and the audience so fragmented, um, the fact that people get together for a one-time event and when you have 12 million, 13 million um, in this day and age, you're not going to get 75 million watching the World Series ever again. That's not going to happen. Um, you are going to get 100 million for the Super Bowl because that's a that's an aberration. Right. When you when you get 14, 17 million, nine million for women's basketball, um, you see executives doing handstands and backflips in their hallways and popping champagne corks. And they're going to be very happy with that. All right, let's move on to the masters. And then I'm going to get Ken out of here. He's been most gracious with his time. This is controversy and controversy sells. Here we go back to the whole Caitlin Clark thing with Angel Reese and the controversy. And it's continued to fuel a couple days, even later, the talk of women's basketball. This is on the front end. The live golf series guys broke away uh, the likes of Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and others, they're viewed as outlaws, they're viewed as villains. They're allowed to be part of this Masters. And again, in the case of Mickelson, of Dennis, of uh, Dustin Johnson, of, of Sergio Garcia, they are former champions. They were at the champions dinner on Tuesday night. Again, Ken and I don't know, did it, did it get ugly? Did it get testy at the champions <laughs> dinner? How much do you think this will enhance the interest the controversy about the live golf guys playing at Augusta this week when ESPN and CBS are televising. What do you make of that, Ken? Let's say Cameron Smith, who won the open last year and then bolted for live golf after that, or Dustin Johnson, or even Phil is at at or near the top of the leaderboard. CBS has not said they were not going to ignore that and good for them there. They said, look, they're part of the whole Masters thing. This is not a PGA Tour event. This That's is right. a totally separate entity. So the Masters said we're going to invite the, the top golfers in the world. Live Golf is part of that. We And former champions as well. Doesn't matter. We're going to invite them. Open Championship did the same thing. It's up to the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open if they're going to do that, but we don't know. But at least those two, the Augusta National and the RNA, have done that with their major championships this year. I think it's a good thing. I think we want to, as you mentioned, controversy sells. Uh, we want to see what happens. Is there going to be a fist fight at the 18th green? No, <laughs> there's not going to be a fist fight. <laughs> Might be some dirty looks. Yes, there'll probably be some dirty looks. Will there be some discomfort? Probably, especially when we see some of the threesomes that have PGA Tour members and Live Golf members in the first two rounds because they're all going to be bunched together. They're all going to have to look at each other. They're all going to have to talk. And maybe they won't talk to each other, but they're going to be looking at each other. Um, it's going to be fun to watch at least these first two rounds on ESPN and on the on the online, whether it's going to be on ESPN Plus or mm-hmm. Paramount Plus or Masters Live, whether you decide to watch because 
We want to see that. Like I said, not going to be a fist fight because that's what the golfers I, I, seeing golfers fight. That's not a, that's not going to be fun. But seeing the golfers just give each other dirty looks or that tension, especially let's say Cameron Smith, who's still good enough. He won one of the events on right. the golf this year. He's going to be probably nearer at the top. Dustin Johnson may still be at the top. Phil, his his skills have diminished. But he's still a, he's still a popular golfer. He's he still knows gonna... this course and he yeah, knows he the greens Absolutely. and maybe he can contend. And Dustin Johnson just won last week on the Live Golf Series. I was thinking when you were saying this, Dustin Johnson was in contention as well at the Open Championship last year at St. Andrews where they had barred Greg Norman a former Open champion, and it basically told him, don't show up because of the Live Golf controversy. And I kept joking, and I'm going to make you laugh even more. I can see you and you're smiling, that if Dustin Johnson had found a way to win, Norman should have gone with the Hulk Hogan spray can and painted NWO <laughs> on the side of the St. St. Andrews clubhouse for being barred from being outlawed. Again, maybe we're making too much of this, but it is going to be a storyline. It is going to be a storyline if those guys, two or three of them, are in contention and how this plays out. Give me a thought. Tiger Woods back, the live controversy. Are we going to see ratings excel just in the prediction mode before we get out of here? I think they'll do very well. I think because that we're going to see this field of basically the step the black sheep of the golf family mm-hmm. back in the whole, the hallowed halls, the hallowed greens, the hallowed fairways of Augusta national. And I give credit to CBS uh, sports president, Sean McManus for saying, look, we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to mention it. We're not going to go out of our way, but if someone from live golf is going to be at, in, in the leaderboard, we have to mention it. Same with Scott Van Pelt um, as well uh, for ESPN's coverage. He said, look, they're, they're there. We're going to have to mention it. We're not going to ignore it. We're not going to be like a couple of weeks ago when NBC took out a couple of live golfers in a in a, a list of, uh, I think it was for the Texas Open. They removed two of the winners, previous winners from live golf and took it out. So basically you saw a, a jump from 2015 to 2017 when two, two winners missing. I'm like, who? Um, Geez, I wonder who that could have been. Right. So, who are the two names missing? And and yeah. Yeah, that's petty. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah. And, some, and some of it is coming from the tour. Some of it they're being proactive and trying to do it on their own. But that's mm-hmm. silliness. Yeah. I would agree. And we'll see how the coverage uh, goes. Uh, we'll see if Tiger, Tiger uh, kind of hung in in the one event he played earlier this year, obviously badly injured. People mm-hmm. still don't realize and appreciate he almost lost his leg in that car accident. I don't know that he's ever going to be championship contention Tiger Woods again. I do know this. We'll all be watching to see, right, Ken? I mean, that's the point. We'll be watching to see um, what he can do. And uh, Augusta, it's a special place. I was thinking this, and I want to get the line off one more time before we depart. Golfers often talk about this, and I have a background also. I have many backgrounds of working in PGA Tour radio, SiriusXMPGATour.com, that if if it is so unfriendly, so icy that they want to talk, that the only conversation may be on the first tee where you have to tell your opposing uh, player in your group what ball you're playing. So in other words, I would walk up to Ken and say, title is three. And that's the only conversation of the entire day. Might that be? Uh, you know, uh, on one. That's it. That's all. That's all you're gonna get for a comment. Yeah. No nice shot. No excuse me. No nothing else. Just uh, what brand of ball and what number on it for purposes of identification for later on. I don't know if that's gonna be the case with the live golf. Final thought. Final thought on any of that. Are we good? 
Yeah, I, I, I'm just, you know, who's going to be doing a lot of talkies, Dottie Pepper. She's going to be the on course reporter for mm. CBS. So I bet um, if one of those, if one of the last pairing is a live golfer and a PGA tour, um, she's going to be on top of that because Dottie is really good at noticing stuff. So um, they're going to be going down to her quite a bit and she's going to get some lot of good insight. from yeah, yeah. How much are they talking to each other? Are they acknowledge? Yeah. Are they even looking at each other? Cause she's right there. And I've been in that role before. Uh, including with golfers that did not like each other on PGA Tour Radio, and you're relaying, hey, they are not even looking at each other as they come down the stretch here on a Sunday. Uh, that It'll be interesting. It's, it's supposed to be a gentleman's game, a game where you report penalties on yourself, yep. uh, integrity, and the whole Live Golf Series thing, no matter what you think, it uh, it definitely has added something outside of just golf where people may be interested in the controversy with it. Nothing controversial about this guy. Ken Fang, you're so gracious with your time. I've kept you longer than I should have, but I love it. I love this stuff. Plug away. Awful announcing. Fang's Bites on yep. uh, on Twitter. Where right. else? Where else do we read your stuff and find you? Uh, and here that you. right now those those are the only two places awful announcing and uh twitter fangs bites trying to get my um i'm trying to find a new home for my newsletter so um if you have any ideas hook uh let me know at fangs bites uh at twitter and uh i'll find a new home for it but uh in the meantime tj always great to be on with hey, my friend. he's saying that to the audience and to me ken and i will talk that over and uh I think he liked my Hulk Hogan reference. Maybe you got to go NWO. You got to go with the black clothes and the <laughs> Jimi Hendrix music and the and the whole thing and be NWO about it. I love it. Ken, thank you, my friend. Uh, continued success. I appreciate your insight. We appreciate it, sir. Continuing on the last word on Sports Media Podcast, I love the insight of people like this. He's been returning my call and text message for like over a decade. I love I love being able to go to Rex Hoggard of the Golf Channel, who you see, who you read on golfchannel.com on all things golf. I said this to him before I hit the record button. You continue to do great work in and around golf. Who better to illuminate what's going to happen at the Masters? Maybe, maybe not. Live golf controversy? Maybe, maybe not. Then Rex Hoggard, thank you for hanging with me for a few minutes to sort it out. The optimum question, how neat is it to be back at Augusta? Here we go for 2023. What's it like as we get ready for this to unfold? I think we've had this conversation before, and I, I tell people all the time, and it always kind of comes off as, I, I don't know, I think it's, it's me being a bit of a homer, but it's the one place I, I think I've ever been to, like golf or otherwise, that never disappoints. Like very, very rarely in life do you look forward to something so much. You build it up so big in your mind and you get there and you're kind of like, yeah, that wasn't all that much fun. This is not that at all. One of my favorite things to do, and again, this is kind of weird of me, is on Monday morning, sort of just watching the looks on the faces of people who see it. You can tell the first timers immediately because – you're kind of overwhelmed. And, you know, we say it all the time. It's a cliche. TV doesn't do it justice. It really doesn't. And once you're here and you kind of see it, and you start walking around property. It's just so special. Yeah, that is well said because I experienced it for the first time and I was wide eyed, just like you're talking about. And millions have done that for decades, getting the chance uh, to come in there, see practice rounds in particular. They restrict it more for the tournament, but the practice rounds in particular. And the common refrain is I didn't realize how much undulation and hills and up and down are on the front nine. And the beauty is one thing on TV, but it strikes you in person. And the one thing I keep relating to people, and please follow up on this, a lot of golf courses are set out in, a, in an away place, away from town, out from everything and whatever. This is in the middle of Augusta, Georgia, right off of downtown. What is it? Washington Avenue, right? Magnolia Road is right there. And you make it like a left turn. And there is the Augusta National golf club it's it's remarkable 
And it's so good for a lot of reasons, including being part of a deep south, small town, Augusta, Georgia, Rex. All right. You, you kind of meat handed that one too much. The golf nerd in me has to fix this for you. So it's Washington Road. Washington and Magnolia Road. Magnolia Lane. Magnolia Lane. Magnolia Lane. Yeah. So, uh, yes, it's, it's so special. You're right. I would say after St. Andrews, which I truly believe is the greatest venue in all of golf, just because of not just the golf course and the history, but just the town around it. If you were going to build a purpose-built town for a major championship, it would look just like St. Andrews. But after that, it's this place. I mean, it just has everything you want. We have stayed in the same little house. You know, it's five miles from the golf course for the last 15 years. We know the people. It's, it's the same person that drives the golf cart that takes me to my car to the, to the media center every night. Like, it's just, it feels like home when you're here. Love it. All right, so we spent some time on this podcast just before you came on, and I want you to follow up. How much are we overselling the live golf aspect and the controversy? How much of a story do you believe this really is, including with uh, icy stare downs and playing in the same group? How how interested are you in how this is going to play out with some guys that are now the Rebels, the Rogue Tour? That's the, the golfers have been banned from the PGA Tour, but they're not banned from the Masters. What do you think about that backdrop that goes into the Masters 2023 now? I mean, I think it's compelling. We're both in the entertainment business. We're both in the news business. So clearly we're going to lean into this. I will say, and once we have been on property a couple of days now, and it's Tuesday and the Champions Dinner and everything that goes into that, it, there, there is an interesting dynamic here. Yes, there is tension between certain players who joined Lib and, and players who did not. I, I would point immediately to whatever happened between Rory and Patrick Reed in Dubai earlier this year. I mean, Rory kind of gave him a cold shoulder, and Patrick Reed, you know, playfully sort of flicked a tee at him, and that blew up into a big thing. We know what Freddie Couples has said about Sergio Garcia and Phil Mickelson. The animosity is real. That's not media-generated. Now, the part of this that I think might be media-generated is there are groups of players who showed up this week who are very, very good friends with those who remained on the PGA Tour. Dustin Johnson immediately comes to mind. I mean, Dustin Johnson is the one player, every player who stayed on tour will tell you, we miss him. They still hang out with him in South Florida. They still go to the same gym and the same golf course. He was embraced this week. He was welcomed back. By that same token, there's players who they don't like who have come back, and they still don't like them. And so it's all kind of about interpersonal relationships, and there is animosity, but some of it, yeah, I think we do kind of overflow. Love Rex Hoggard from the Golf Channel. Follow him at Rex Hoggard uh, on social media. See him on Golf Channel's coverage of the Masters, the 2023 version, uh, and also online at golfchannel.com. We are not supposed to root for individuals, root for sides, root for teams. Rex roots for his Baltimore Orioles. Why? I have no idea. Tampa Bay Rays forever, baby. Uh, But is part of you rooting for a live golfer or two to be on that leaderboard, especially early for a storyline, just because it transcends what you normally have at Augusta and people outside of golf will maybe pay more attention to it? I'm kind of rooting for that at a distance in the cheap seats. Are you rooting a little bit that we see some of that interest, or does it matter that much to you? Oh, no, I am. I'm an agent of chaos. I'm a big fan of (laughs) chaos, and that's exactly what it would be. I I think Todd Lewis and I talked about this on Monday night on Live From. He kind of hit me with, what would it mean if a Live Golf player won here? And I said, it would be great for golf. And look, I will preface it by saying it, it would not be great for the PGA Tour. I understand the elephant in the room. I know it would be difficult. But look at everything else. It's only going to make the major championship better. We're only going to look forward to the majors even more than we already do. 
It's obviously going to be good for live golf, and it's going to be great for the fans because you're going to give them that element that has never existed in golf. And that's the idea that, oh, there's a villain, that there's this animosity. Mm -hmm. That's never been there at this level of the game. Again, I go back to the idea. We're in the entertainment business. I can't imagine a scenario that would be more entertaining. Love it. Moment or two left with Rex Hoggard because he's busy here with us. The weather is not supposed to be good, potentially. Now, the weather people frequently get it wrong. We live in Florida, and there's different parts of the country where they get it wrong. But the forecast is not good in terms of rain, it looks like, for the weekend. How concerned should we be that we might have time-displaced coverage on TV, etc.? Is that a real concern early in the week, or are we too early to tell, Rex? It might be too early, but certainly when you look at the forecast and we're getting closer and closer and it doesn't seem like it's changing or getting much better, I'm sure there's going to be storms. There's going to be plenty of rain by what it looks like in the forecast. I will say of all the tournaments I cover, they seem to be able to, pardon the pun, but weather this one a little bit Mm -hmm. better here simply because it's a shorter field. So even if you get behind on Thursday and Friday, you can still catch up. You make up ground on the weekend. We all know the way they can sort of control the golf course. They can, they have the the air system that pulls water out of the greens. It's not as though they're, they're going to become swamped and unplayable. And, I mean, we look forward to Sunday. So I think there is a motivation here to make sure that this thing goes off on Sunday one way or the other. And remember, uh, uh, Rex knows this, the audience probably remembers this, Tiger's return to glory a few years ago was a time-displaced early start earlier on Sunday because they knew storms were coming in the afternoon in what would be the live window uh, for the golf coverage on CBS and the playing of the game in the afternoon Eastern time. So I don't know that it's going to come to that. We will we will see a couple more fun ones before you go. Uh, this, this thing ramps up when Amen Corner turns into those par fives on 13, 15, the iconic 16th par three that almost everybody knows. You know, Jack Jack Nicholas very famously almost made the hole in one in 86. Tiger did chip it in in his Masters win in 05. Uh, that 16th hole always seems to come into play. What is that like to cover this and to know that we could be building to drama yet again on Sunday on those final few holes that we all know so well if you follow sports, not just golf, Rex? It is kind of the secret sauce, right? They figured it out. I mean, somehow they do it more often than it seems like any other tournament in golf is able to do it, maybe with the lone exception of the Ryder Cup, and that's a little bit of a different animal. But, yes, they've got it down to a science where – you hear the roars on Sunday on the back nine. You hear you have the birdies. You have guys making a run. You have the potential for big numbers. It's all there, and we. it seems like we see it year in and year out. Certainly, you mentioned 2019 with Tiger Woods, if that was the case. But even go back to last year, and look, Scotty Scheffler was running away with this thing, so that's probably not the best example. But if you weren't entertained by what Roy McIlroy did on his way in, I mean, to shoot 64 and finish second, and he pulls out from a bunker on 18, there's always something here. I don't know. I can't imagine uh, getting to a Sunday afternoon and then the final putt drops and thinking to myself, man, that was kind of anticlimactic because it just doesn't happen. <laughs> no. And, and we can reference Nicholas roaring from behind. That's uh, still, uh, I mean, I, I, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up mentioning it and it's 30, what, seven years ago. Jordan Spieth was in command and melted down on the par three twelfth, And we've seen, a case after case where somebody turns it on, Tiger, Phil, whomever turns it on on those final few holes. It's it's uh, it's why we watch. It's why we watch uh, for all of this. And and uh, again, you do a great job with the coverage. Plug away. We're going to see you on the Golf Channel, the live from stuff. We'll read you on golfchannel.com. 
Uh, this is this is always one of the great events in golf every year to cover, and we'll be seeing you some here over the next few days and this weekend, right? Uh, oh yeah, well I'll be I'll be I'm live from plenty. I'll be writing for GolfChannel.com, and uh, Lav and I, Ryan Lavender and myself, will be doing the Golf Channel podcast every night. So check that out. Yeah, check that out wherever you get podcasts, golfchannel.com. Follow him at Rex Hoggard, G-C-H-O-G-G-A-R-D, Rex Hoggard, G-C for the Golf Channel to find more of his great content. You have always been great with me. You always make time for me. He's trying to get to dinner. He's trying to cover the Masters. Rex, great stuff here. Let's see. And I didn't even ask you about Tiger, his chances. If he can hang in off the injury, that adds the intrigue even more. We root for stories, right, my friend? That'd be an interesting story. We love it. Rex, thanks for the time. Good stuff here. We look forward to watching you and reading you cover the Masters for Golf Channel and GolfChannel.com. Thank you. Good catching up. See you, TJ. Love that man's insight. And again, the Golf Channel is all over it, ESPN all over it, and as well, CBS and Jim Nance. I know we were talking earlier in the show with Ken Fang of uh, of Awful Announcing that it's uh, Jim Nance saying goodbye to the college basketball. Nance is going to be for the foreseeable future doing the golf doing the Masters. I could foresee Nance still doing the Masters five years from now, even 10 years from now. Uh, remember, a lot of the golf announcers do go into their 70s, even mid-70s, and Jim will be there eventually doing the golf. Uh, he will continue to do the NFL as well. So let's see what kind of drama and excitement in the Masters is always the highest rated of anything, more so than the U.S. Open, the PGA Championship, Tiger Factor or not. Let's see what it looks like for the Masters. Okay, uh, let's wind it down here on the pod uh, with a little bit of what we like to do to close it out. It's back. Love it or leave it. First item, love the shorter game times for Major League Baseball. By design, the pitch clock and making the batter get in the batter's box and the pitcher get up on the mound and the pitching rubber and go quicker has by and large done well for the beginning of the Major League Baseball season. Time and again, you see two and a half hours, two hours and 35 minutes, two hours and 33 minutes, instead of three hour, three hour, 15 minute, three and a half hour, nine inning games. Look, I realize that some of the baseball purists say there shouldn't be time limits on anything, but it had gotten to the point of absurdity with how long it was taking for at-bats, pitching changes, games to be played, Play the game at a quicker pace. Get more of the action in. It's more engaging for the fans. So far, it has worked. It has sped the game up. I think I saw something coming off of uh, Sunday, the first three or four days of the season. It sped the game up by more than 25 minutes on the average game time. That doesn't seem like a lot. That's just the average. I mean, if you're watching a Yankees and a Red Sox game for the last two-plus decades, you were having to invest three hours and 15 minutes three and a half hours to everything with all the take, take, take on the pitches, all the time in between pitches, pitching it or in the batter's box, pitching changes, taking forever to play the game. Get it done. Get it done and get it done faster. So kudos to Major League Baseball. And as we release the podcast, by the way, the Tampa Bay Rays off to a great start uh, here. That's got me in a good mood coming back to the Tampa Bay area. They won their first four games. They've never done that before. This is the 25th anniversary of the team starting its first season in 1998 when they were so awful as the Devil Rays. Let's see if the Rays can have a good season, uh, even without the monster payroll of the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, uh, the, the halves that are in baseball that spend all the money, whether that's the Braves, the Cubs, the Phillies, whomever that always spend, 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 the Mets. We'll see if the Rays can contend with all of those guys as the year goes on. Let's continue 
with another one. Love it or leave it. Replay review. And we did not see a lot of this at the Final Four, at the men's Final Four. We did, we did see some of it at the women's Final Four and championship game. Uh, with those going over to review, we've we've seen it uh, painful for so many years in college football. Let me give you a leave it. We can go have the reviews, but let's put a time limit. The, NF, the NFL puts the time limit of right around two minutes, and if there can't be a decision from the command center and the replay official in the stadium with the referee at NFL games, then the call on the field stands. College basketball in particular – needs to have a time limit of from the time you go over to the monitor, it's 90 seconds. And if in 90 seconds you can't tell from two or three looks and replaying it two or three times, if you can't tell, then the call stands, period. I mean, the painful example at the end of San Diego State Creighton in the Elite Eight game where they took a month, it seemed like, over there. Let's limit the time of review. Baseball on the home run or not, out or safe or not, uh, you know, hockey, the same thing, offside or not, goal or not. Hockey seems to streamline it a lot better. On the instant replay, love it or leave it, leave it on taking forever. Let's time limit it. You can absolutely do that in these sports. Uh, the NFL has done it, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball, college basketball, college football, college football. It takes forever for some of these reviews because they won't time limit it in the different conferences, SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, uh, the college football playoff time limit this. You've got to do it. Love it or leave it. And one more. Love it for the responses by Caitlin Clark, who again is right now transcending just women's college basketball with the way that she's played. She did an, an interview with Jeremy Schapp of ESPN for Outside the Lines where she was queried on the whole controversy with Angel Reese of LSU taunting her on a couple of occasions at the end of the game. Caitlin took the high road and said, look, it's part of sports. Uh, leave it be. Uh, she's fine with it. That's the high road. I will further say what I've said elsewhere on other interviews, other podcasts. Angel Reese went way beyond just doing the you can't see me wave in front of the face, which, by the way, she was doing late in the game to Caitlin Clark on the foul line. When you're coming up behind her doing it again at the end of the game, when you're pointing to your finger about the ring finger and those images go viral everywhere all over the Internet, video and photos, just go celebrate with your teammates. Uh, win with some class. And I was saying to Ken Fang earlier. Uh, from Fang uh, Bites and Awful Announcing, that Kim Mulkey is a hothead coach, very successful, very animated. Her players reflect that with how they play, and it's up to the coach to rein that in. We're not going to behave that way. We're not going to act that way at the end of a huge moment, a huge game. Go celebrate with your team in winning. But Caitlin Clark took the high road on that, and good for her. And she does her share of trash talking, too. Uh, Understandable. She said that to a Louisville player, uh, where the TV cameras caught her telling the Louisville player, uh, Haley Van Lilth, if that's how you say the name, to shut up because you're down 15. That was the line to her. You're down by 15 points. Shut up. Stop talking uh, here on this. So I realize it's give and take. She took the high road. And good for Caitlin Clark for saying that while the the first lady, uh, Jill Biden, who was in attendance, may, may have had you know p- political intentions or good intentions of let's honor both teams, Caitlin Clark basically said the champ should be honored. Give it to LSU. It's their moment. It's their time. She wants to be there next year with her Iowa team and not anybody else. We don't need to worry about runners up going to the White House for anything. Participation ribbons, participation trophies. Leave that to the winners uh, going to the White House uh, for this. So good on Caitlin Clark in that interview. I saw that. I love that. Not just on love it. 
or leave it. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Thank you for finding us wherever you have done so. Social media link, lastwordonsports.com. Uh, make sure you're following or subscribing. Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Ken Fang, our guest, with awful announcing, the uh, Fan Bikes tw- uh, Twitter handle, Fang's Bites Twitter handle. Rex Hogger to the Golf Channel on the Masters with me as well. Is it a tradition like on any other? Will Rory McIlroy finally win the Masters? Will it be uh, Jordan Speed? Will it be one of the live golf guys besides uh, guys like Speed or Justin Thomas or John Rahm? Will it be someone like a Cameron Smith, a Dustin Johnson that puts it together that's a live golfer? What a storyline that would be. As Rex said, we're kind of rooting for the story on that. Let's find out with the Masters coverage this weekend. We'll be back to talk about all of it. NBA uh, uh, play-in tournament is about to take place. The NBA playoffs about to start. How will all of that play out? We'll be here to talk about that. Uh, the the recap of the Masters and much more as we go along. Follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Here are the last word on sports media podcast feed. You've got George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast on this feed. Part two with Fox Sports and Chicago White Sox broadcaster Jason Benetti is up right now on the podcast feed, immediately preceding this show. And Phil and Mike, Phil DeMont Mullen, Mike Gill with announcer schedules the podcast on this feed coming later in the week with Who Did It Well with calling the March Madness games, baseball, Masters golf coming up. Mike and Phil announcer schedules podcast as well. For now, we're good. We're done. I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us on the last Word on Sports media podcast. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but If you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.